Oh, hey. Didn't see you come in earlier. Hey, uh, are you also waiting for the pod to start? Me too, me too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, hey, I'm La nice to meet you. I'm Lance Lester. I'm a reader and listener to Third Degree. Oh, hey, nice to meet you, Steve. Hey, listen, while I have you here, can I talk to you about my soccer apparel, Lord and Savior Soccer 90? Not only is Third Degree the podcast brought to you by Soccer 90, but they are also your source for FC Dallas, U.S. national team, and international club gear. Check out the new arrivals dropping daily. If you missed out on the North Texas SC pinstripe away jersey at launch, more stock has arrived in various sizes, which is very good for me. I love various sizes. Grab yours before it's gone, but remember, third degree listeners get 20% off at soccer90.com with promo code third degree. Some exclusions may apply. Steve, Steve, wait, come back, don't run away. Third degree, the third degree net podcast. 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 Well, hello there, FC Dallas Curious Fan. Welcome to another episode of Third Degree, the podcast, episode number... 161. 161. Hi, it's me, Peter. And, per normal, my two buddies. First, Dan Crook. Hello, Dan. Hello, or, excuse me, pizza. wait. Howdy, Dan. Oh, not this shit. <laughs> okay. You know how many people have come up to me and said howdy lately? It's getting... I love it. <laughs> Love it. It's a good bit, man. Bits are fun. Uh, and your hero, my hero, everybody's hero, editor, founder of Third Degree, the podcast, the amazing Buzz Carrick. Come in, Buzz. Hi, Peter. Uh, my lovely wife is out of town, so I'm having a big party tonight in my house. Oh, you're batching it. Yep. All right. Going crazy. How long is she gone for? Oh, just a couple days. She went to visit her uh, sister. Man, you just yep. like rolling and st sitting around in your underwear. Yeah, yeah. Leaving food out on the counter. <laughs> the place is a mess. No. Well, I bet. Yeah. Awesome. Is the dog sleeping with you? No, no, no. He he sleeps on the floor. Oh, okay. You so the question still remains. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't get down on the floor with the dog. <laughs> well, you know, you might get lonely. You never know. Uh, okay, so I don't know how you guys want to do this because we've got some good and we've got some not so good to discuss because since the last episode, uh, Dallas had a tremendous evening at the uh, Toyota Stadium or at Toyota Stadium against Seattle and then a not so good road cup uh, road trip in the Open Cup last night. Where would you like to go first, guys? Which one do you want to do first? Well, let's just start with them in order of when they happened. Okay, we'll start on Saturday night, Toyota Stadium. What a night, what a crowd, uh, what a drone show. Amazing, those uh, modern marvels of technology. We see FC Dallas beating Seattle, or as uh, El Jefe once described it as, the coma defiance had come to town <laughs> um, yeah. and got a really, really nice win, Buzz. Yeah, uh, you, you got to play who the other team brings, you know, which is fine. Sometimes you get rotations. It happens. They won the CONCACAF Champions League in the middle of the week, so we knew that they were going to rotate a lot of people or more, assuming that they would. Um, so good comprehensive win for SC Dallas. But the, I think the thing you have to take away from that game, even more than the just the fact that it was a good win, uh, is the continued uh, improvement in the stands. I think I think you have to give SC Dallas a lot of credit. I don't know exactly what they're doing. Lots of different things are probably contributing to this. But there's definitely an uptick of the number of people in the stadium. Is it 
68,000 like Seattle had midweek. No, but compared to where this club's been, uh, it's a marked improvement. And I think they deserve a lot of credit for uh, all part of this new era push they're making. And, and people are getting, at least in Frisco, people are getting excited about the team, I think. Seattle really threw out a frustrating uh, lineup in the fact that I think it was one of those deals where it's a, a no-win situation for Dallas because it was such a, a, a recycled set of players. And, man, there were some guys out there that I swear were skipping their prom Saturday night. They look so young um, for Seattle. But there was also some quality on the field, and Seattle had done some things that, I, that was very clearly confusing a fully lined-up Dallas yeah, they played a different um, shape, and I know Dan has some stuff on this too, but they played a different shape than they normally do. They normally play a 4-3-3 like Dallas does, but um, they went with a, a three-man back line, or, what, or you can call it a five-man back line, however you like to describe that. I prefer to call it a three-man back line, but they definitely did sit way back. Um, uh, and in the end, you know, Dallas in that game, in response ended up going through three different formations, which is, I think really cool. I mean, I, I, they used a, uh, the four, three, three to start. And then they ended up in a four, two, three, one, which is something that they've been working on. And then the end of the final bit, they went to a three, four, three. So, um, that kind of flexibility is really cool. I love seeing it. And, um, I, I think it says a lot about the quality of the mental quality of the Dallas team that they can do those things. And, and in the end, you have to be who you got to be. You got to take care of your business. And this was definitely a taking care of business at home game. I mean, they've they've blown games like this before. Notably, the Red Bull one uh, was it like three years ago now that was so brutally bad. But um, Dan, I, I know that uh, Seattle's probably about what we expected coming in, but the formation definitely was not what we expected. No, um, Paul Ariola had said after the game that you know they were. They spent the whole week preparing for uh, either a four-three-three or four-four-two. So to get the lineup sheet an hour before the game and see, uh, you know, to to see what they kind of worked out was going to be that back three. Uh, there was there was a few last-minute adjustments from Nico, last-minute instructions, just kind of patchwork really until they could see an effect in the game. Um, it is the formation that that they did play much of last season in. They had won their CCL game starting that, uh, in that 3-4-2-1, I guess you'd call it. Um, but, yeah, it's, uh, it was, it was a, I think it was really cool. It was a great test for Nico to go up against one of, you know, MLS's great tacticians and Brian Schmetzer who can, you know, take 11 dogs and put them out and probably beat into Miami. Um you know, to to go through that game, see them, uh, see see Seattle roll out a couple of formations, react, you know, try and draw them out a little bit, and and go through the three like you mentioned. So when I was watching the game, my notes from the first half were mostly about just how frustrating Dallas was to watch. They just looked so slow, and 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 my big takeaway from the first half of the game was that it was almost as if Dallas plays as if it's scared of itself. Uh, they would possess the ball in their half, get into kind of the middle third of the field, and as soon as they got to Seattle's defending third, it just all kind of went wonky from there. And it was almost a, a case of they were afraid, uh, afraid to try things against a team that that they shouldn't have a lineup specifically they shouldn't have been afraid of. And I, I found that really frustrating, and I'm not sure what changed between the first half and the second half because they certainly didn't look afraid of themselves in the second half. Well, that's an interesting uh, observation. Um, 
you know, I think we've indicated many times that uh, from the outside, it certainly seems like Dallas likes to stifle under this coach, likes to stifle the game a lot, you know, and take the other team out of it. And uh, it's potentially possible that the first half of that game was all about making sure you had Seattle contained, uh, which they did, obviously, when you hold another team to zero shots. That's a pretty remarkable. Sorry, zero shots on goal. That's a pretty remarkable performance, uh, even if it is our, the other team's reserve team. Um, it, I, I do often think that Coach Nico makes good adjustments at halftime. Uh, there's often a positive response, not always, but often a positive response. The other game we'll get to, there was not. But um, I, I think that. Overall, it was the kind of performance where even though I think it started slow, you just sort of felt like from the beginning, for me anyway, Dallas just had the whole thing in hand. Like I just never felt like Seattle was really going to challenge them at all in that game. And, and maybe that seeped into really? their mentality that they just were like, oh, we've got this already from the get go. I mean, you, you don't like that mentality, but maybe it did. Well, it's weird. I, I, you know, this is, I actually attended the game. I sat with some friends, the famous Barbero family, uh, which has had season tickets since literally day one back in 1996. And they have seats in the front row, right on the center stripe on the east side. And I was very lucky to get to sit with them. And it was a really interesting perspective because I typically sit very far up and try to get a whole field view. And and Buzz, uh, at least from being at the game, I didn't get that sense. I got the sense that they were really hesitant. Maybe this is the tactical problem with the way Seattle set up and that confused them. I thought Emma looked really slow in his decision-making. Um, Velasco looked really... Uh, I mean, I saw that blonde-haired... Thomas Roberts lookalike kid just absolutely stone cold steal the ball from Velasco at least twice and it, it was just a weird a weird deal and the vibe of the team was dramatically different when they came out in the second half yeah maybe they were just complacent you know it's hard to really say I I didn't feel that watching the game uh on on TV um quite frankly I was enthralled by Paxson Pomacall's breathtaking play uh but maybe maybe that's all it is. Maybe it was maybe what seems like some hesitancy was just like a lack of urgency, perhaps. Um, I, I do like hearing that it changed for you in the second half. That's really positive to hear. Oh, it was definitely no. I, I was I was secretly hoping that this was all a byproduct of Nico losing his ever loving mind and going <laughs> on a cussing tirade in the locker room and throwing some things. Yeah, I wonder uh, about that too sometimes. Yeah, <laughs> there was there was that level of change uh, in the body language and kind of the spirit of the team between first mm. and second half, at least in my in my opinion. Yeah, yeah, I I don't remember feeling that way, but it's it was. I mean, we played a, the team played a whole another game since then, so maybe I'm just blocking it out. I, I do remember at some point in a recent game, and I can't remember whether it was this one, thinking that same idea. Like, I wonder if Coach ripped him a new one at halftime. Uh, and maybe it was this game. Maybe I've just blocked it out since then. It's Dan, you were possible. at the game. Did, did you uh, did you see it differently or one way or the uh, other? No, yeah, I definitely saw that hesitancy in the final third. You had moments where Jesus is on the, you know, a, a step or two inside the box, and he just turns and tries to lay it off to... Ariola or whoever's around and you know it was like they were lining up to not shoot at one point yeah um but yeah I think you know it's that they were definitely they were definitely had moments of confusion not quite understanding maybe 
you know where the runs were coming from that they expected, um, which you know that that comes with in-game adjustments, which uh, Nico's been fairly good at. But yeah, like you say, it it does seem like his his halftime adjustments. And was it uh, the Kansas City away game where it was just night and day different? Early, uh, obviously not this one, the the uh, league game. The earlier one, yeah, yeah. It was it was interesting because uh, you know this is why I love sitting out among in the crowd because it's always great just to kind of get a general vibe of the of the of the fan base. And there was a, a a distinct level of frustration over the game because I think everybody noticed that Seattle had rolled out a secondary team, and so you know the way the season's been going, there was a sense that Dallas should really push and dominate and kick some serious ass, and that wasn't happening. And when Velasco had that just awful miss of an opportunity mm. in the first half. Uh, the crowd, you could just sense the crowd getting very frustrated at that point. Um, and, 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 but again, when things switched in the second half, the vibe completely changed and the atmosphere in the stadium got really electric and is about as good as I've ever heard it uh, inside Toyota Stadium. Maybe that expectation is part of what, why it felt that way. Like if, if you and, and everyone else around you and, and even the team is thinking, why aren't we stomping the tar out of this team? Maybe it feels like that, you know, there is a hesitancy there and, and all it takes is that someone to just sort of tap them on the shoulder and say, hey, guys, you should be stomping this team for them to then go do it uh, in the second half. Yeah, it was uh, uh, the, the substitutions were interesting because you just finally got the sense that Smetzer felt like he had set a pretty fine trap. Uh, by rolling out what he did and then deciding he was going to throw on a lot of his best players within 20 minutes to see if he couldn't uh, snatch something away. It didn't work, but uh, it was at least an interesting game plan on their part. Yeah, yeah, in a way, that's exactly what Kansas City did in the next game where they you know, brought in some of their big guns. And you're right, that Seattle had Montero and, and both Roldans and, and Rusnak. And you know they, they, they had plenty of guys to bring in uh, and and make a charge. The, the, the main thing I remember from the first half was how dangerous Matt Hedges was on corners and set plays in that half. I think he, it was, he had a shot at like three different goals at one point. Um, and it, it was, it was nice to see that kind of dominant on air performance when Matt had missed the previous game, when he comes back, it's such a massive reminder of how incredibly good and how important he is, you know, and how bad the team is when he's gone. Yeah. It's funny, um, we've we've talked in this podcast about the condition of the field and players slipping, and there was a moment in the game that almost cost Dallas dearly as I think it's a corner kick, and Seattle plays it out. Am I right, Dan? Was it a corner kick in transition that this happened in when Tiamasi uh, slips? When uh, yeah, I think, I think so. it was. For, yeah, so Tomasi's the last man back, and the ball comes out, and I... And one of their players, their young, one of their young guys playing up front, and he are going for the ball, and Tomasi just slips, uh, and that was a bad deal. But it didn't, you know, the, the goal didn't get scored. Tomasi runs back, pause, makes a save, or, the, or it was a bad shot. I couldn't tell from the angle I was at, um, but it did end up helping because I'm pretty sure a, tr- a Seattle player slipped on the second goal for Dallas so that helped out that situation. Yeah, the field continues to be a problem. Uh, you know, we, we've explained what what happened. You know, uh, it shouldn't be a problem too much further because uh, it's now the end of this month. It'll get changed out for the winter grass, and Dallas only has, I think, one or two home games between now and then. So uh, maybe just one even. But uh, yeah. it's a 
they now have after the cup game they now have five of seven on the road uh through the end of june so there's plenty of time for them to change the grass over and it shouldn't be a problem very much longer because it definitely was a problem again in this game especially frustrating to see two amasi slip when it's like dude you're the home team Man, you got to know to get some long cleats on when you're coming out there. It shouldn't be that big of a thing. Well, I'll tell you, I was uh, specifically looking at it. And again, um, not to humble brag, but being down on the front row, you can get a pretty good view of what people's cleats and their shoes and their studs look like. Most of those guys look like they're wearing about as long a screw in as they could. Yeah. Which makes me wonder if it's just, you know, they're doing the best. They've got the best they can for the situation. The field's just in that weird estate. Yeah, it could uh, be. And they're just going to have to play it out. Yep. Uh, for sure. I don't think it helps now that, uh, you know, back in the day, you used to have like the real long screw ins for, uh, for soft ground, the real short ones for hard ground. Now it's, I mean, I like the molded, but uh, they're, they're kind of more of a, like an all condition field. And, you know, it's s- sloppy wet more than. You know, there's there's not a whole lot of grass going on here, and you're just kind of slipping on the surface, which doesn't really lend itself well to to to, uh, to the kind of football boots that that the manufacturers will make now. Yeah, I, I wanted to point out one of the things that happened in the game that was very frightening was not far from where I was sitting, Pomacall got into a tangle with one of the Seattle players and went down, and as soon as he kind of uh, popped up on a knee, he immediately grabbed his groin mm. and kind of uttered a cuss word out loud. And I thought, and this is the sequence where the trainers had to come out and give him and look at him and take him off the field for a few minutes. And I thought, oh no, that's not a good sign. But I'll be damned if that kid didn't put in one of the finest performances over the course of. He played the whole game, didn't he? Did he play yeah. the whole, or did he come out? In the whole game, yeah. Yeah, yeah, he played 90 minutes. Man, I what an impressive performance and we shall never ever forget the turn, progression, if coverage of and chip into the open space for the second goal. What a fantastic sequence by Paxton Palmacall. Yeah, I, I had it down as his best game since 2019. That I, that I don't th- I think since before the pandemic, he hasn't played like this. Uh, you know, 90%, 91% passing in the midfield is what you'd expect from him. But he had three key passes, which is a phenomenal performance. Burial had four, but three is from Paxton is phenomenal. He had 17 duels Paxton did and won them at a 69% clip, almost a 70% clip. And, and then he also drew five fouls. So they clearly knew that he was causing them fits. It was just one of the absolute best performances we've seen from Paxton that I can remember. I mean, I, I was going all the way back like four seasons now. And I can't think of a game that was better than this one. It was just absolutely phenomenal. And you remember that Peter, when you guys had him on uh, the kick around right after he had this operation, he, he said that he'd be better the second season. He would get be improving and get better. Just like if it was an ACL kind of situation. And I honestly think we're seeing that now you still do have these occasional worries. Like you say, where he does grab his groin occasionally, and maybe there's just some pain in there that he just has to deal with. Maybe that's pure speculation on my porn part, but his play is coming back. Yes, there's a tiny little bit of like foray into the box you want to see where you want to see him get, you know, a goal or get a final little touch in the box to do something. That tiny little bit maybe to be like a De Bruyne. But this is almost that level of MVP, league level MVP performance. It's so close to being that way. And it's just so exciting to see it for those of us that have been wanting him to play like this. This is the Paxson of old. It was so good. 
It was a, a beautiful sight to behold because the thing that he was doing Saturday night was he was relentless in his battling. You were talking about his duels, and there were, I don't know, it wasn't just one or two. It was three or four or five very clear moments where he was in physical confrontations uh, with somebody over a ball, and he was winning them, uh, and he just looked like old Paxton again in many yeah. ways. And it was really the cherry on top of it was that, uh, that how he started that entire sequence on that that second goal. Uh, just the way he receives the ball, kind of first runs into like an open space, finds open space, receives the ball, turns, and then just sees this beautiful little chip over the back line into the far corner. Uh, it was. I was sitting, you know, again, because I'm at down near ground level. When he received the ball in turn, I couldn't see whoever it was on the far right side that he plays the ball to. I guess it's Nanu. And, uh, like, I, co- I couldn't see it, but he saw it. And he just, like, almost blindly chipped that ball 30 yards off to his right. It was so sexy. It was, it was lovely. It was great stuff from Paxson. It was good to see. Yeah, that, that, that whole play from the whole team was gorgeous. And, and even some of the national guys – when they when they played out that clip, they said, you know, do not undersell the initial packs from Paxton. The value of that pass and the setup, how that the whole thing keys off of that beginning play, uh, and having him back to this kind of form is just. Obviously, we hope that we're going to see it going forward. He didn't play in Kansas City for the Open Cup, not surprising. Um, but it, having Paxton be back at peak Paxton is is so massively important for this team. Uh, Dan, talk about Matt Hedges' return and just how much better this team is defensively with Matt back there, please. Well, they're capable with him. Um, yeah, no, it's, it, the load that Matt Hedges puts on his back cannot be underestimated. You see it when in, in the previous game when uh, Tafaro came in and you know Tafaro didn't have a terrible performance. Martinez was was pretty good, but. Hedges is that kind of go-to guy, right? You've got he allows Martinez to be the 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 uh, the play out the back guy, the kind of possessor of the ball, knowing that Hedges is going to clean up pretty much everything. When Tafaro comes in, they're kind of splitting responsibility. Uh, I think uh, Martinez still had the most touches in that game, most passes, but you know you kind of there's that not not that ease there's that you know you hope that Tafaro is going to be able to cover if uh, if Martinez loses the ball but I don't know there's, there's a lot of men I mean there's a lot of mental aspect to it in the team just how much it, it puts the guys at ease but um yeah I mean it, Matt Hedges nationally is a is a criminally underrated defender which I mean obviously here in DFW we all we all know that but uh having him back just kind of just changes the entire scope of the defense the way they play defensively the way they cover um you know there were a few times where uh, emma was getting beat on the dribble he'd just tuck inside let matt come outside of him almost play right back for a couple of seconds clean the play up and then switch back uh, you you can't do that with many defenders in this league uh, Buzz, I heard you on the MLS podcast or Twitter thing they do yeah. uh, with Matt and Andrew uh, about their power rankings. And Doyle asked you who the best player on this team is. And when he asked you the question, I was like, damn, who is the best player on this team? But you pretty quickly snapped back Paul Ariola, yeah. who scored a fine goal 
Saturday night. He did. He did. Uh, yeah, I, I was not ready for that question when they asked me. And I like he was I had that moment of like, wow, who is the best player? And certainly Jesus Ferris playing the best of his career. There's no question for that. But to me, um, I, I said Paul Ariola because I was thinking about this game in particular, this last one where he had four key passes, you know, a goal, <laughs> five shots, you know, 76% passing as a frontline guy. He's winning just under 50% of his duels. But it's 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 so you also saw Steve Davis tweet out things like, well, Paul's only got two assists on the season, but like there were like three other occasions where his movement or his dummy run basically was an assist. You know, and I, I also thought how much we've talked about how important he I mean I think by far he's the most important signing of the year because of his impact on the locker room his ability to speak both languages he instantly became a leader he instantly galvanizes both sections of the of the groups who some of whom can't speak the other language in the locker room it has been an issue from time to time he he can communicate the coach's philosophy it's like right now he's by far the most important player in my opinion on this team and so that was where that in my brain clicked as best player you know, he's in the prime of his career, whereas Jesus is still improving. Paxton's still improving. Those guys have got years to grow. Ariel is at his peak, you know, and, and he's made such a humongous difference. And I think even like in this Open Cup game, say Jesus is back in there at the end of the game. Um, Alan Velasco's in there at the end of the game. It's still not the same. When Paul's not in there, it doesn't function the way it needs to function. His attention, the eyeballs that are on him. So, um, for me right now, I think he's definitely the most important player on this team, you know, the MVP, if you will. Uh, and that's why I answered it the way I did. Um, you know, and he had a phenomenal game against, uh, uh Seattle on this one too. I, you know, I think he recognized, you know, what the moment of the in a sense of, of it being the champions league winner from, you know, just days before and how you can make a statement with a win here, even though it's against most of the reserve teams by the end, they've got a lot of their guns in there. And it was a big, important game. All right. I don't want to be unfair because I feel like I do this every week and I don't want anybody to think I'm picking on the kid because I'm not. But he came with high expectations and a big salary or a a big price tag. Uh, The Alan Velasco watch. uh, Another kind of weird performance from Velasco. Like I said, I I feel like he's getting dispossessed a little too easily. Um, uh, Just some questionable this and that here and there. And then to find out after the game on social media, he posted a a tweet or an Instagram or some sort of message on social media indicating how much he misses his friends. And uh, when you 19-year-old Argentinian in a foreign land is uh, openly expressing that kind of thing, I think it's okay to be a little bit of worried and wondering how mm. acclimation is going on. Yeah, I, I saw that tweet and I for sure had the exact same worry. Like, oof, uh, that's that's uh, uh, slightly worrying. Uh, what the thing, the other thing that worries me is, as you say, like they're giving him a tons of freedom to go at people and go inside outside. And obviously, he has these moments of brilliance, but he does lose the ball a lot, and his duel rate is horrible. Like in this game in particular, it was only seventeen percent winning. Uh, that's really bad. You know, I mean, he's still in terms of pure possession, he's still really high and he, he has the ability to uh, turn away and step away and kind of keep the ball. He did have three key passes, but the, so it, it's really like it's a volatility to his game. It's either a hit or a miss bad. You know, it's either a bad turnover or it's a glorious moment. And a couple of the bad turnovers have come when he had chances to put games away or, 
or make really decisive plays or the other team made a big decisive play off of it. You have to remind yourself that he is a, he is a 19 year old kid, you know, and he is out of country yeah. where he doesn't know anybody. That tweet is, I mean, if it didn't, if it sets off alarm bells for you and I, imagine the alarm bells that should be going off inside their, you know, soccer management group when they see that kind of public admission from him that he misses his friends and family. He didn't say family; he said friends. But same thing a lot in a lot of ways for kid, younger kids like that. Um, so there's absolutely room to be concerned, and you can also include concerns that. Nobody behind him is making it difficult for him to keep that spot. I mean, Shun had a pretty poor game against Kansas City. Obreon can go over there, but I mean, that guy's having some nightmare performances too. Khalil's not doing anything to make people think that he's going to get in the game at any real pivotal moment or important game anytime soon. So, um, I mean, right now the guy's pretty much got the position on lock, and yet you're still worried about him. Kind of reminds me of uh, early Mauro Diaz. You, you kind yeah. of yeah. You look to those two or three magic moments, and you just really hope that the game centers around them instead of them just uh, you know be, being a pass to someone who takes a ridiculous shot from distance or ends up running out of play. Well, I think you could probably make a lot of comparisons. I mean, you could go all the way back to the those days of Joselita Vaca uh, mm. and the old Burn days when he was just a young Bolivian kid that showed up out of nowhere and just looked overwhelmed and and uh, in, you know fish out of water type. It's got to be tough to be in that position and to be removed oh, from yeah. your friends and family. Uh, and these are all the kind of things that we talked about on this podcast when they announced his signing, which is he's a 19-year-old kid that's never played anywhere other than Argentina. This is going to be a transition phase, but you know the goal of this is to make the team better. And there yeah. are stretches of time where I'm, uh, you know, where a, a lot of things break down because of him, and that's a disappointment at this point. So you hope hope it gets better uh, before before it gets worse or whatever. Yeah. You know what I mean? Well, consider the usual quote unquote. I'm air quoting here the six month or so adjustment period. Uh, you know, to for him to be even as good as he is in some ways is a real positive. If you if you have that context about it. Um, I do think that he still is a guy who gets a lot of eyeballs and a lot of a dense defensive attention, which benefits both Jesus and Ariola. I mean, all three of those guys really are dudes you have to really pay attention to. You can't let any of them get loose or get free or get one-on-one. Velasco is still that kind of guy. I mean, if you, if you don't pay very close attention to him, he will skin you, you know? So yes, there's, there's definitely room for improvement here. And, and, there's definitely some deficiencies that have to be made up for. I mean, they very clearly have Paxton playing an outside-inside flip-flop role. Like whenever Velasco's going walkabout, Paxton's the one that has to deal with the space and read the game and recover and play the right defensive responsibility. Again, another thing he's doing phenomenally well. You know, and, and even also, too, Farfan is having to occupy that space sometimes when both Paxton and, and uh, Velasco are, are doing stuff inside. Farfan has a lot of responsibility wide defensively. So, yes, there's having to overcome some deficiencies. Yes, I'm now really worried because of that stupid tweet. Um, you know, hopefully, <laughs> I mean, that's the kind of red flag, man, going up. That's like a flare going up for somebody to tweet it. I yeah. mean, kids are much more on in social media than we are naturally, right? But that's a huge flare going off for me that, like, man, they better get somebody in there and talking to that kid and make, holding his, you know, kid gloves you know, make him feeling good about himself, you know, and, and hopefully there's not yeah. some underlying locker room problem we're not aware of, you know, hopefully it's all good. So, uh, yeah, definitely red flags for sure. 
Well, there are a couple times where you see his teammates get frustrated with him on the field. I, that, that was pretty clear in the Seattle game. The moments where, you know, when he starts to float into the middle and there's some confusion yeah. about what he's doing. And again, I can't tell if he if this is a uh, a level of freedom that he is exceeding or if he's just doing his own thing unilaterally or what. But there mm. are those moments in the game. And let me also say this about the the, the social media post. The only reason why that's the, – the reason why, at least for me, and I assume it is for you too, Buzz, is that this is reflective of things we've seen from other players. Yeah, yeah. Uh, like Dan says, this reminds you of old Mauro Diaz. Uh, you know, when we have seen these signals saw, uh, before that led to long stretches of bad play just because their head's not right with ball kind of stuff. And and that's why when you and I see that, we yeah. go, uh-oh, that's not good. Well, it's it's such a real thing that Essendon literally created a department just for this kind of thing, for this off-field comfort and helping guys feel, you know, uh, integrated into the society and all that stuff. I mean, they have. A, I mean, that's crazy in a way, given the history of the way this league has worked and the amount of the budgets they have that they made a whole department for it. That's how important it is. So, yeah, yeah. it's a, it's a thing to watch for sure. Since we're only what like three months into a season, is it was it four? I can't keep track. But still, there's a long way to go this year and a long way to go on his contract, presumably. So, um, for sure, for sure, a red flag. Well, it was a fantastic night. Dallas 2, Seattle 0. The crowd, I think they, did they officially announce a sellout? Is that the sellout number that they posted? It is? 19,096, yeah. Yeah, so, uh, and and at the end of the game, when the whole stadium's doing the FC Dallas chant, uh, it was uh, really cool, um, and it was great to kind of see that atmosphere in the building. Everybody was having a good time. Now, I will also, because I don't want to beat this drum too badly, I got to see the thing on the stage for myself in person, and, the, and my observation is this. At the beginning of kickoff, where the stadium and the announcer and the you know the team is making a very clearly big deal about the what do they call it red alert or something I'm not sure what how they talk about this uh, but there's this whole kind of like buildup of them lighting the thing that is over the top but then when it goes off it's it's like that pop gun where the little flag comes out at the end and goes pow. It's just it's just it doesn't pay off for the amount of buildup that they they put into the stadium. And what I found interesting was is sitting in the crowd, in you know immediately beforehand they they introduced Chris Richards who was in town, and everybody around me was super enthusiastic and clapping for Chris Richards. But as soon as they got to this whole red alert thing and lighting the sign, nobody could have could have cared less. Like they all just started looking at their phones or talking to each other. Nobody turned and watched. It was the weirdest thing. It's like just nobody gives a crap about it. Yeah, that seemed totally fair. It is a bit of a is a bit of a letdown when it actually happens with the build up, the hitting the button um, to get those crappy sparklers which are, i mean that's new that's something but uh they added sparklers this week yes yeah but the the light show is just it blinks on it blinks off it blinks on it blinks off i mean i, I think i'd i'd mentioned it in the uh in a takeaway sig when when they first did it um you know your, your computer now if it's got leds and it can that can link up to like the sound that comes through your speakers or something like that you could have it reacted to the crowd noise you can i don't know have it have a controller on it where hey goal goes off let's shoot some fireworks out of it let's let's do a real light show let's have 
one of the other elements light up because it looks like there's plastic with uh, you know so, some capability to put something behind it that will light up. It just it, it's cool that they did it, but yeah, the it, it's weird that they kind of shoehorned it into the red alert thing, which it felt like was with the videos and everything else uh, for you know for when the players come out was almost a bigger deal then than it is with the shield. Well, it's funny because the production value of surrounding the lighting of the sign is very high level. It's really good the way that they've got the stadium all synced up, the video boards on both ends and the ribbon boards around the side. All of that works really, really well. It's just the payoff of the sign itself is so lame. Uh, I, I, they've got to add more stuff to it. Now that said, the drone show after the game was the coolest thing, and they deserve so much credit for whatever they spent to get that drone show to show up. Um, and it was great. And for those who got to see it, you got a treat. And if you didn't, I'm sure there's videos of it somewhere. But if you've never seen a drone show, that unto itself is worth the the price of admission. But the fact that this was all kind of themed Dallas and everything uh, was even better. And and so kudos to them for pulling that off. That, that was absolutely awesome. Uh, I only got to see the little bit. It was kind of funny because at first, you know, you saw the, the music came on and you could see the drones sort of lining up in this weird like green and white square, I guess, as they were calibrating them. I was, <laughs> was like, the- oh, this... Did- is this really it? This this is crap. And then, you know, next thing you know, they all turn off and then just appear as the FC Dallas logo. And you're like, oh my god, that's crazy. Uh, just yeah, they're, they're very cool fireworks going off to it. Awesome. I, I would have loved to have uh, seen the rest of it, but we had to jump into uh, Nico's press conference, unfortunately. Yeah, the only problem with watching those drone shows is that if you spend a little bit too much time thinking about it, it really puts you into a frightening state of what our future <laughs> and the end of humanity when the robots take over. Yeah, I for one welcome our overlords. <laughs> the funny thing is, I always remember as a kid going to, I guess it would have been Universal, and there was the Terminator 2 4D ride. Oh, yeah. And where you're watching like the 3D thing, and there's those little drones shooting lasers. I just remember uh, it was this weird optical illusion because some woman that was sitting in front of me had like massive hair and it just kind of appears through it. And, I was, and you're like, <laughs> oh, well, that's actually happening now. They're just instead of shooting lasers right now, they're uh, creating the FC Dallas logo in the sky. It was, uh, it was a lot of fun and a great night. Now, I hate to uh, be the bummer here, but... Uh, it- Got to talk about what happened last night. Now, I'm lucky. I didn't watch the game, and uh, I don't really know what happened other than what I read in Dan's report. I I know the the score, and by all accounts, it was a super shitty evening of U.S. Open Cup action for Dallas up in uh, Kansas City. And it sounds like all of the guys that shouldn't have let them down let them down. Yeah, uh, this is a game of two halves for sure. FC Dallas came out with, by the way, for a club that says it takes the U.S. Open Cup very seriously, for them to now run out two Open Cup lineups that are complete 100% reserve teams says to me that you don't take the Open Cup very seriously, but that's an entirely different discussion. The first half, Kansas City tried to play the way Kansas City plays, which is they, they clog up the middle part of the field and they make it very difficult for you to get through there and they try and stifle your play that way. Well, that wasn't working. Dallas was stomping the tar out of them. It literally was should have been 5 nothing at halftime. Frank O'Hara missed two 
goals that he was within like eight inches of the goal line that he did one he didn't get to and one he just didn't get a finish off of it. And then O'Brien did the exact same thing where he had a ball where he got to with about a foot from the goal and he pushes it about a foot wide of the goal. And then, of course, he had one that was even worse in the second half where he could have walked into the goal and he steady fired it 40 rows into the stands. So Dallas is clearly dominating the first half. It's about as decisive as a walkover as you have ever seen. Well, Peter Vermees being a guy who knows how to coach cup games, in the second half, they change the philosophy and they start high-pressing Dallas. And Dallas is basically running out a full reserve team and they cannot handle it. They cannot build out. They start turning the ball over like crazy and Kansas City starts dominating the crap out of the game. And it was only a matter of time, honestly, before things went south. Still, Obreon could have killed the game and didn't. And he had, it's one of the most egregious letdowns you'll ever see. And then at the end of the game, there's... 30 seconds left. There's a couple of moments where they could have stifled the game and killed it, and they didn't. And then Martinez makes this incredibly stupid foul on the last man for a red card, and then nobody marks up very well on the corner, and they blow the game, and then now you're going into overtime with down a man and on the road, and they're, you're toast. You know That was a game they had won, and they let it slip out of their hands, and putting teams away, being ruthless in cup games, is something that young and experienced reserve teams have to learn, but your two oldest, most experienced players in that lineup, O'Brien and Hara, are the ones that blew the bunny goals and did not put that game away and win that game for Dallas when they should have. And am I to understand that you're one of your veteran defenders also kind of screwed the pooch? Yeah. My read, Dan, I disagree well, on that. Uh, well, let me give my take on Martinez first, and then you can jump in here, Dan. For me, Martinez is coming – the, the play is looping around Tafari's other side, and Martinez is coming across. And all you have to do is face that guy up and let him continue to carry his run, which is going wide of the goal. And by the time Martinez gets there, the, the dude tries to cut back – and the ball gets extended out too far away from him. And as he tries to cut inside, Martinez clips him and the guy goes down. I think the ball was already too far away from him at that point. Either way, Martinez for me is because he knows he doesn't have enough pace, he's running full bear as hard as he can. And by the time he gets there, he's out of control and he clips the guy and it's a last red card and you're and the game's over basically. Last man red card. Last man okay. red card. Now, granted, you could have marked up the corner and stopped the goal that happened. It was a well-done corner. Granted, there was a play higher up the field where Thomas Roberts got quadruple teamed, and if he just would have played the ball sideways or drawn a foul like Pepson would have done, that would have killed the game too. There's lots of guys that are at fault, but for me, a guy with the experience of Martinez, your leader in the back, needs to be better in that moment. I think it's a horrible moment, and I think it cost him the game. Go, Dan. Yeah, I, I thought uh, yeah, Martinez's big mistake, I thought, was his initial run. Uh, Salwi's, uh, Daniel Salwi is coming through rather than actually try and intercept the run he runs really to where Salwi was not where he is now and at that point Salwi's basically through on goal and he has no choice but to bring him down I think in that situation it's you know totally reasonable to take one for the team uh, albeit you know if he'd have been a little bit wiser maybe with his initial positioning it would have just been a simple foot out, knock the ball away. Um, but yeah, the, the corner was. I mean, yeah, the uh, I can't remember the fellow's name, the Cypriot guy. A free header on the corner of the six-yard box, really, really soft one. Uh, Nestle's in the far corner. Jimmy Mauer just stands there and watches it. Doesn't 
doesn't react at all. I don't know if he thought it was going wide. Uh, between that and the markers, just an absolute clown show of a goal. Um, yeah, Velasco was standing next to the guy when the play started and didn't go with him. And Khalil was standing in the box and didn't come out. So the guy just had an open header. You know, it's two defensive mistakes on that corner from those two guys. Yeah. All right. Yeah, I am just... I a... No, go ahead, Dan. I'm sorry. Oh, I was just going to say, and then, you know, obviously you get into extra time and you have uh, a weird shin kick save that could have just been an easy go to ground and grab the ball that comes off of Edwin and then loops over in. And then that weird... Um, throw-in moment where Edwin takes a couple of steps away as if he's going to let the ball go across his body, not realizing that Kyrie Shelton's standing right next to him and just says, thanks a lot, I'll have that. Yeah. In a... It was an epic meltdown of epic proportions. Well, All I mean, right, so you... not having seen the game, I'm wondering, uh, did you see things out of Edwin Cerillo that indicate to you why maybe he hasn't been starting a lot lately? Uh, I don't know about Dan, but, games. Yeah, I don't know about Dan, but I thought his first half was actually exceptional, uh, really, really good. And the second half I thought was really good up until he had to then go play center back. And when, when uh. they put him in center back at over in overtime. Now, see, part of the problem is that because they didn't have an, they brought a bunch of kids that they wanted to try and get minutes for. And then things happened in the game and they were forced into playing those kids. Like in the current moment of the game, having to put on Roberts was not really something you wanted to do. That wasn't the right time to give Roberts his first minutes. You end up with uh, Edwin Cerillo playing center back in overtime and, you know, because they were out of Martinez was out and the other guys had already been subbed and they were in a flat four at that point. So there's, there's Khalil was forced to come in and try and play massive minutes. You know, it's just like, it was not, you didn't have the right pieces on the bench to close out that game that you needed. And so for the first 60, 70 minutes, I thought Edwin was phenomenal. And even the broadcaster was talking about how great he was. Uh, and I thought Brandon Sermania also played a really excellent game. I mean, not excellent. He played up to Brandon Sermania's standards. But when you played a formation that only had those two guys, and it was a 3-4-3 most of the game going, so like they were – this is the situation where your wings have to come back and help and your outside wingbacks have to get forward to create that structure in midfield because otherwise those two guys are on aisle and they get smoked. So that part all went fairly well. Both those guys had good games up until the very last seconds of the game when it all gets thrown away by getting a red card. So uh, you said earlier in the podcast that uh, Shabalek Schoen had a bad performance, and we've seen literally, I think, nothing of him in league play or very, very little. Are indications or signs pointing to him uh, being sold in the summer window, or is he done here? I I just think he hasn't found his way into the coach's uh, confidence, and now he's not feeling good about it himself and where he is and things are going well. I, I wouldn't have said his game was really bad. It's just that he didn't do anything to make a case for himself. He didn't do anything good. There wasn't like a moment from you could take him and go, Oh kid, build on that. Oh, there's a, there's a thing I can use. Like he didn't, he didn't make it seem like, man, I got to start getting that guy in more games. It's like, that's that Safari was man of the match for me because he literally was the only guy I watched. I thought who actually helped himself where I walked away thinking, Oh, I'd like to see a little bit more of that guy. Nobody else in the game, that I feel that way other than Brandon and Edwin who already get our regular contributors. So I actually forgot that Shane was playing until he yeah. played that weird back pass that just gave <laughs> sporting never Kansas City a, a good goal. sign. Yeah. Yeah. 
You love to say that about centered uh, or holding mids. You don't like saying that right. about your winger. Yeah, your <laughs> six or like that eight that sneaks in a goal, you never want to see them until they pop up in the box. But yeah, you're, you're a t- yeah. attacking winger. You want to see them constantly. Yeah, that that back pass that he made that was it was like a that was one of the key moments of the game. You know, when you make that kind of mistake, that's not the kind of thing that's going to get you into games. That's going to keep you out of games. Well, and he, he didn't do anything with the ball immediately after that. As well. Yeah, they they essentially subbed him in like two seconds later. And that's what I mean about like they're forced to bring Khalil on in that spot. That's not who you want to be bringing on there. You know, so it's like Shun's not doing anything to make up for that one bad moment, nor is he doing anything to think make me think, oh yeah, he's for sure going to be on the bench and he's for sure getting in the next one. Now I'm like, why would you put him on the bench after that? I think it just kind of reinforces your point about taking the cup seriously when uh, Vermees has what, Sowie, Shelton, Russell, and a, a couple other, you know, real game changers on the bench. And you've got Jesus, you've got Velasco, if, who, if you're playing with a bunch of reserves, isn't going to get the service he wants. So he's just going to drop deep and get frustrated and then try and do everything, which in turn, funnily enough, Thomas Roberts also did. Um, you know, you're left with, like you say, Thomas Roberts' first minutes and then going into extra time, the only outfield player left is Benny Redchich, who's, yeah. you know, you've then got to put on for Brandon Savania because he's run himself into the ground. So how much of what happened last night do you put on Estevez and how he managed the game? Uh, I, uh, some, definitely some. I, I'm not going to put a lot because there are some veterans in that game that let the team down massively. But uh, I think I think they overdid the rotation. I think they overdid the bring all the kids and get them into the game. To me, that all said, along with his T-shirt, that they don't value the Open Cup very much. Then the responses were late happening in the game. And, and in a lot of ways, his hands are really forced. Like once his, once his veterans bled him down and blew it, he didn't have any, really, really any other options. And that was had to do with who they brought. So... You know, there, there definitely were some mistakes made. Like, if your goal was to win this game, no matter what, you, you wouldn't have had this bench and this 11. You know, this was more like this lineup and this bench, to me, reading it, only reading the names, was a, here's a chance for me to get some guys that I that are never going to get a chance to play if I don't play them in this game. Here's some kids that are never going to get into a game if I don't get them into this game. And they brought them all. That's not how you win games. And that even though they should have won this one and had this one dominated and blew it, it still was not a lineup and a formation and a bench that made me think they're all in on the open cup. And it made me think like this is the only chance I'm gonna get. And now of course they're out. So none of these players are gonna get it in any games going forward. Not all of them, but the five or six that were the guys that you were trying to get minutes for. So uh, it sounds like, and again, I didn't see a minute of this game. It sounds like uh, the reappearance of Thomas Roberts wasn't a, the prime opportunity, and <laughs> maybe not, maybe not the most fair thing to judge Thomas by. Well, I want to hear Dan's take. I actually, I, I, the the moment was not the moment I would have wanted him to get in, but I actually thought he was okay. You know, to me, he looks like a kid who hasn't played since 2019. And given that circumstance, I actually thought he was all right. He didn't make any humongous defensive blunders. There was a moment at the end of the game where if he would have made a different decision, it might have killed the game off. But that's what I meant about like, what do you, why, why is this kid the guy you're being forced to put in the game when it's on the line? You wanted to bring Thomas and get him into a game when it was out of hand and over. 
right? That's when you get your first minutes, not when it's a do or die. And that's what I mean about it being a problem. I thought Thomas was perfectly okay. He should have done some more defensive work. He doesn't quite track back like you'd like to. Maybe there's a couple of decisions that aren't pristine. But overall, the touch looks pretty good. He brings a little size. He can definitely play combinations. They, they definitely recognized him as a guy who could actually progress the ball in midfield. So anytime he would get it, they would send two or three guys at him because he was the only dude that could actually build forward at that point in the game. So uh, I've seen worse. It's just his coach, I don't think, did him any favors. But again, again, if you want to test a guy, it was a pretty good test. There are other dudes that failed the coach way more than Thomas did. Oh, um, other than maybe that moment where he dribbled his way into trouble and had the outlet pass on the right, I thought it was totally serviceable. Had a few nice uh, lofted passes out to the wings. You know, he kind of had that those Velasco moments of, oh, I'm going to just try and do it all myself since no one else is. But um, it's it's rough, right? You're uh, you know you're that attacking mainly a ten who's trying to make a life at eight. You've been at one club where you're not getting the time which you thought was your kind of outlet away from it, and then you get brought in and end up playing really as almost as a six by the time that they were getting pressed back. Uh, it's just, yeah, it's just not that environment that, that he can thrive in. Well, I guess I'm just hoping that nobody judges Tommy Pooh too harshly uh, from that. Let's, let's uh, get him in, in a real, a real deal and uh, we'll, uh, and more opportunities. And then you can judge him uh, from there. Uh, The one name that I haven't heard you talk about a lot, Buzz lately, and I was thinking about this and I don't know if he made an appearance in this game or not is uh, what's, did Parker get in the game? No, he wasn't even with the team. No, he wasn't with the team. What's going on? Uh, Well, Parker is a, um, like a a one for the future kind of guy. You remember he, he's coming out of college the same age that Reggie, for example, or Brandon Cervini, for example, signed their first homegrown deals. And it's, he's on a GA deal. It's equivalency kind of deal. So he's, he's super exciting. He's a better player than most of the players you see come out of college, but he's also a player that needs bags and bags of games. So he's down with North Texas, basically full time, you know, as they're starting left back, he's getting every single game down there. He's training with them full time and he's doing pretty well. You know, he's, he's looking like he's got, he did get a red card the other day. So he's <laughs> going to miss the next yeah, game. Yeah, he's going to miss the next game. But, um, you know, they're doing exactly what they need to do with him is send him down there and let him play 20 games. You know, by the end of this season, I think that he will be back with the first team and he will start to get minutes. I don't think Eddie Munjoma did anything in this game that makes me think that he'll keep that spot as the second left back over Parker whenever they get him all bloodied up and ready to come back. You know, and, and as early as next year, I think he'll be full time again. You know, not actually by the end of this year, probably, but certainly next year he'll be the second choice left back going forward. And he'll start to press Farfan for minutes. So you just remember, remember where Reggie was after that first year at UCLA, or where Brandon was when he came out of Wake Forest after one year. That's where this kid is. So it's he's not drafted. Unlike seeking a settling, who they drafted thinking that he might be able to contribute this year. Same with Bartlett. That's not why you pick Parker. You pick Parker really, really high because of the GA status and his massive, massive upside to potentially be like a national team kind of caliber left back. That's the goal. The problem you have with Parker is Reggie had, uh, oh God, what's his name? The Argentine fella who played right back for Grana. one season. Yeah. Grana. Grana. Um, yeah. yeah. And Grana uh, to kind of learn from. And, and he, you know, speaking to him, he definitely credits him with a lot of his growth. 
Parker doesn't really have that. Your most experienced fullback is 23 years old. Yeah, Farfan, yeah, young. Yeah, that's true. Hey, uh, Buzz, you said you didn't see anything from Majoma to make you believe he was going to not yeah. hold that spot. He scored a pretty good goal. I did see that highlight on Twitter. Yeah, yeah the goal's a banger. Uh, don't get me wrong. Ed, Eddie's capable of a banger. Um, the, the thing about him that, that people, the reason got him picked is he was offensive outside back, right? The modern kind of flying style outside back. Um, there were times in college where they would give him the whole half of the field. But um, this coach is not that kind of coach. This is not Lucci. This is a different coach where he wants a defensive first outside back. And Majuma defensively is a mess. Uh, his team shape is a mess. His single one-on-one defending is a mess. Yes, he gets forward. And there have been he, he's so good offensively, in fact, but there's been times where they've used him as a wing, like an outright winger as a sub or as in, in scrimmages and such. You know, he's not actually left-footed. He's right. He's a righty. He's really a right back, not a left back. They just can use him over there because he did it so much at the academy because Reggie was on the right in the same class as him. So I, I don't see enough progression from Minjoma that makes me think that he's going to be the guy. I don't see enough defensive stuff to think that he's going to work for this coach. I don't see enough offense to make up for those deficiencies. You know, so, I, I you know, there's a reason why they drafted Parker third overall. <laughs> You know, okay. they already had Minjoma, so I, I'm not seeing it. You know, I, he's a guy firmly on my start looking for a USL job list. All right. I did not hear uh, the audio of Nico's postgame press conference from last night. I did read the quotes, and I read the quotes of Maurer and some of the other players, and the vibe I got was, yeah, I'm really proud of how hard we played. It sucks we lost. And I just... I kind of got the sense that everybody was kind of glad the cup stuff was over with, and now they can get back to worrying about the season. So maybe it's okay that you have uh, a brain fart of a game uh, in the cup and not in a league game. They were all pissed. They were all really pissed. Were they? Okay. It didn't. It didn't come across that way in the in the in the quotes. John Arnold asked Jimmy about uh, you know what you kind of take from it, and and, and Jimmy is like seething uh but at the same time he's <laughs> saying you know i'm proud of the guys playing in that heat that humidity yada 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 um and then eventually <laughs> john asks the question of you know now now you're at the cup how does this kind of like affect your ability to showcase yourself for the starting job and he's just like to be frank i don't give a shit <laughs> and that wow. was when it was like okay oh. now we're out <laughs> <laughs> yeah uh yeah nico was just trying to be a coach. Uh, I mean, most of the stuff he was doing was in Spanish before I asked the the question at the end about just, you know, how the game went, how the second half went specifically. And um, I think that's what they took a lot of most of the quotes from. Yeah. I, th- I think when you, I think when you look at the lineup and the, the people are on the bench, again, it just shows that this was game for, I think for this staff and for this club, the, in terms of the context of this season, this game was about, trying to develop some of the younger bottom of the roster players, getting a test for some guys, sort of seeing where they have some guys, seeing what they kind of maybe have in terms of their backups. So, you know, the, so from this game, you can learn a lot from all of that stuff, right? That's what I mean about like, you look at it coming in. It's like that, that's, that wasn't screaming. We're going after the cup to me. That was like a, Oh, here's a chance to get some guys in the game. So yeah. I don't, I don't think, I don't think big picture. They're going to be fussed. They're going to be pissed that they blew it and threw the game away. 
that they'll be pissed about. But like the fact they're out of the cup, I, I honestly don't think they're going to care, which is weird because it, the club's the damn cup's named after the the owner, the you know Lamar Hunt. There's they claim that they care about it so much, and then yet this is what you get. So it's weird, and I'm sure somebody from the club will tell me I'm crazy, you know. But I mean, look at the damn lineup for yourself and tell me you disagree. I don't mean you well, guys. I mean, I mean, the way the season has played out, I think they've exceeded expectations, but they yeah, don't have a fair. super deep roster. Um, I'm, you know, I, I love the U.S. Open Cup, but I'm not, uh, um, it's not a critical uh, portion of the season for me. So, the yeah. you know, using it as an opportunity to try some new things and get some players some time and you lose a game on the road is not a big deal to me but again your mileage may vary and some people are probably rightfully pissed off they lost the game but well i uh, think sporting's clearly a club that takes the cup much more seriously they're now five and oh against fc dallas in open cup games and they've won four and dallas has won two you know so i think it's pretty clear what it means when you actually do take the cup seriously you get a team like sporting kansas city well i think it's at this point of the podcast where we uh just you know, brace everybody for the reality that it doesn't get any easier from here, Buzz, because as you mentioned earlier, five of the seven coming up are on the road through June, and even the home games they got coming aren't necessarily easy ones, and they start off at the Galaxy this weekend. Yeah, look, to be fair, some people have mentioned, when I've mentioned this, some people have said, well, you guys talked about the start of the season being tough. It was, and the club did pretty well. They did. But that doesn't change the fact that this is a rough stretch. It's now five of seven, and it's against teams in the top of the table, right? LA's third, Minnesota's seventh, Orlando's fourth, uh, Austin's second, LAFC is first. So it's like you're getting the top of the West and the one East team is the top of the East team. You know, you got Vancouver in there twice. They stink. But so, like, you're still like, this is a big test. You're, you're playing against the very best teams of the Western Conference. So five of seven on the road. MLS life is hard on the road. So don't expect, you know, a, a, a 500 run in this stretch of games to me would be a massive, massive positive thing. These are the teams that you're competing with to be a top three team in the West. I still don't think this is a top three team in the West. So I think this stretch is going to be rough. Uh, they may prove me wrong. They may come out of this thing flying. They may blow these teams out, you know, or they may grind out these results like they've been grinding them out all year. And they may come out of the back end of this thing in second place. Awesome. It, there's nothing to say that they can't do that other than the fact that I'm not quite a top three believer yet. And this is a very, very difficult stretch. So it's a massive, massive test. And I think by the end of it, we will know whether this is a legit top of the West contender or if it's a middle of the to the bottom playoff contender who still has a shot and still a good team, just maybe not elite yet. So that's that's why it's important, this stretch. Uh, I- if you had one particular goal out of this stretch, and and I know it's gonna easy, it's easy to say uh, collecting points. We should get X amount of points, but I'm thinking maybe more granular than that. Is there something that you'd like to see out of the team? Yeah, I, it'll be important to me that you continue to play well at home in the middle of the two games that you have of all these road games. That if the road games are not going great, you don't let it affect your home form. It'll be important to see if they continue to grind out some positive road points. It doesn't have to be wins. You know, some ties in there will be good. Sort of maintain this positive, good feeling like you have a chance on the road. Uh, Also, take care of the teams that you should take care of. Those two games against Vancouver, 
drill that team into the ground. And then Austin, also when you get up against Austin and your rival, go to their house and make it very difficult for them. So that's like four or five things. But there, there's lots of things beyond just points that you can look for from this section and things that and obviously we'll learn something about this club from every single game. But, um, you know, this is a this is an important sequence we're about to come into here too. over. You know, this is starting to get into the heat of the season, too. This is starting to get to the stage where Dallas is start not doing very well. They don't have a great May, June, August record, you know, July in there, too, of course. So this is going to be key. This is going to be big. Okay. Uh, so uh, speaking specifically of the Galaxy, either one of you got any predictions in terms of lineups or what we should be looking for? Well, the, the starting eleven is pretty set. Other than right back, which I think I think Tuomasi's done pretty well to cement himself the last couple of games. Uh, the big one is holding mid the six, the, the Faku Edwin, uh, you know, which I thought was going pretty heavily home road, but we just saw a reversal of that, um, you know, based on Edwin being the cup game. So, you know, again, this is back on the road, so everything about it says Facundo probably, you know, and that remains the big battle. I mean, I don't think. Martinez won't be suspended because he's out for the next cup game, which is next Brandon's year. Brandon's back, though, right? Brandon, Brandon should be back. I assume he gets his spot back. Siki played pretty well. They didn't even travel him. You know, Brandon did play oh, 90-ish or more, so maybe there's a little bit of a – maybe Siki might keep a spot in midfield. So those are really the only spots. Facundo versus Edwin. Maybe Siki on rotational reasons might stay in over Brandon, although I would not go back to Brandon because Brandon playing really well. Um, for, for me, and then uh, I think Tuomasi's for now has a hold on that right back spot, so otherwise, it's all pretty obvious that everyone should be able to predict it. I think it's definitely worth keeping in mind they're going to take a big travel pie with them because, um, at least from the schedule we got sent, it looks like they're going to stay on the west coast and just go straight up to Vancouver. Mm, that's fair, yeah. Well, it's interesting because they traveled to Kansas City, came home, and now are going back to L.A. So they've got a lot of travel built up, so that would make sense because the idea of going to Kansas City, to Dallas, to L.A., back to Dallas, then to Vancouver just seemed like a lot. So. Yeah, I mean, you have a Wednesday game, so you're, you're probably worried about workload. Again, it's at Vancouver, who's not nearly as good as L.A., so where do you put your emphasis? These are things we're still learning about this coach, you know. It, it, it seems likely to me that you get Facundo in L.A., so maybe then you go back to Edwin in Vancouver. Maybe Siki with Brandon playing Tuesday. Maybe Siki's in L.A. Maybe Brandon's back in Vancouver. So you're going to see probably maybe some little more rotation against Vancouver perhaps. A couple guys like maybe you'll see a Frank O'Hara get a start again or or maybe an O'Brien might get a start again in there. You know, um, when, you have, when, you, when you have a – Tuesday, Saturday, Wednesday sequence like that, and then another Sunday real quick. You know, you, lots of road stuff. We're gonna. This is the first kind of many games in a short window we've seen like this much. So we're gonna learn something about this coach. And, and, and so I don't think anything's gonna be locked in. As much as we think the first eleven's locked in, there might be some kind of different things this week. Maybe some different formations even too. So um, that was, since we saw a completely different formation against uh, Kansas City in the Open Cup, maybe there'll be some more different ones for other games too. All right. Well, anything else we need to discuss before we... Man, there's a lot. I got a lot in there. There was a lot in there. Dan, y'all good? Um, you set? Uh, no, I'm not good. I had to watch that game yesterday. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm glad that I didn't watch it. Over that. Yeah. I'm sorry, Dan. Hey, when does uh, Luton play their first playoff game? Tomorrow, uh, I think 1.30. 1.30, and they're playing... 
Huddersfield Town. Ah, Chris Clark's Huddersfield Town. All right. Well, good luck. I'm rooting for the Luton Town Hatters. Thank you. Be on uh, ESPN Plus. Uh, yeah, uh, tomorrow one forty-five, and then on Monday one forty-five. Are you the Are you the home game first or second? Uh, we are the second. I'm pretty sure. Uh, you have the second. Oh, no, we're, we're, no, we're home game first. Apparently. Oh, okay. Well, very Both good. Good luck there. Thank you. Hey, everybody. It's me again, Lance Lester. I just want to remind you that Third Degree the Podcast is brought to you by Soccer 90, your source for FC Dallas, U.S. national team, and international club gear. Check out the new arrivals dropping daily. If you missed out on the North Texas SC pinstripe away jersey at lunch, more stock has arrived in various sizes. Grab yours before it's gone. But remember, third degree listeners get 20% off at soccer90.com with promo code third degree. Some exclusions may apply. So have fun with that. Thank you for your time today. Good work, sir. Dan, that was directed to you. Uh, thank, thank you, Peter, for making it sound <laughs> professional as always until yeah. I screwed that up. <laughs> awesome. Uh, Buzz, thank you, sir. Good stuff. Yeah, thank you for fighting through your uh, methane lab vibes over there. Meth lab? That's yeah. totally, uh, that's, a, that's a complete inside reference, <laughs> but thank you, Buzz. I appreciate it. Yeah. Um, I, I'm glad I didn't pass out. And thank you, FC Dallas Curious fans. We'll speak to you next week in a far more coherent episode of Third Degree, the podcast. Thomas Roberts got minutes at least. Third Degree, the Third Degree Podcast. Third degree, the third degree, never again. Third degree, the third degree, never again. Third degree, the third degree, never again.